This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 94 for February 2016 with Nate Pickowitz on Reviving New England. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 94 for February 2016. Nate Pickowitz is pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Gilmanton, New Hampshire, and author of the upcoming book, Reviving New England. As the fires of Reformation were dying down in Europe, they raged in New England. Those fires have been all but snuffed out now in both, and Nate wants to see them relit. He and I talked about the history of the American Reformation in New England and what the church needs to do to foster revival, not just in New England, but around the world. Check out the web post for this episode for an outline of the discussion, relevant links, scriptures referenced, and related episodes. You can find that at echozoe.com slash 94. With that, here's my discussion with Nate Pickowitz. Nate Pickowitz, it's a pleasure to have you on today to talk about Reviving New England. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. And what is Reviving New England? We're going right to the chase. We're, We're going to go right, right into the chase. It. Yeah. Well, no, I could. No, I, I mean, I could start off like with Pickerwickle jokes or something, but I didn't you could, think I'd want to go you there. Could. So you've heard that. You've heard Todd's <laughs> well, I, I, total destruction of my last name. That's good. <laughs> I, I, I saw. Uh, I saw traces of it on on Twitter. Traces. There you go. Yeah, from yeah. Uh, Chris Honeyholes. I think was. Yeah. 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 Was the one that. I that's saw, right. I saw, that's but... right. Yeah. So I've had I've had the pleasure of having my name butchered by Todd Friel. So that's <laughs> that's a feather in my cap, if there ever was one, I suppose. Well, at least he um, acknowledges you. I've been trying to get him on for a long time, and and uh, I've I've talked to him to his face, and and he says, "Yeah, just give me a call," and I cannot get him. He's there's a yeah. there's a handful of people that I really would love to interview about different things, and I just can't yeah. get through the firewalls. And Todd, I think, is one of them. And I I love Todd, but that's. Uh, well, yeah. let's start a campaign. We'll do a hashtag campaign. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to call it. We'll call it something fun. It'll be good. It'll be good. Do Echo uh, Zoe. <laughs> Echo Zoe Todd Friel interview. Yeah. And then we'll just blast it or something like that. No, it'll be good. Um, so we're talking about uh, my home region, I suppose. Yeah. So, well, I was asking what is reviving New England, but maybe it does help to step back and talk a little bit more about your ministry and where you are and being yeah. in New England. And yeah. So, uh, so reviving New England. Just to answer the question for the sake of the listeners, because they're get, they're getting dropped right into this. Mm-hmm. Reviving New England is a is an upcoming book uh, that I'm working on uh, that I'm hoping to have finished very soon. And we, we talked, you and I, how I'm doing this totally backwards. I'm probably doing all of this wrong. I'm promoting <laughs> something that doesn't exist yet. Uh, but my hope, my faith is in, in God that he's going to, to bring this about if he so wills. Yeah. Uh, if not, then that's, that's fine. I'll, I'll accept that. But, but the desire is to have this book written 
and the book is is really a manifesto. It's it's a uh, it's a rally call uh, to pastors and leaders and church planters and anybody who has a heart for New England uh, to try to do something. Um, to to bring about a change up here, um, because right now we're living in, I mean, this is, uh, I actually, I was listening to Albert Moeller's The Briefing, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, and he actually listed New Hampshire, which is my mm-hmm. home state, New Hampshire, as the least yep. churched uh, state in the entire country. Uh, up up to this point, I think we were second or third from the bottom. Yeah, Vermont I was surprised was to hear that. that was... I was very surprised, but I guess it's a new Gallup poll from 2015 that says that mm-hmm. officially we are we are the worst. And um, yeah, I got to tell you, it, it feels like the worst sometimes. Um, but but if there's ever a state that needs the Lord and needs the gospel, it is New Hampshire. It is all of New England. So. And if I, re- um, I I did hear that as well that briefing and it, yeah. um, just to give uh, listeners context today is Thursday February as we record February eleventh eleventh yep and Tuesday was the New Hampshire primary so mm. there was a lot of your 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 home state was really been in the news uh, recently because of the elections and whatnot so there's a lot of focus not for and, the best reasons either <laughs> no but <laughs> yeah. It's this four-year yeah. cycle where every four years, first Iowa gets to be in the spotlight, and then uh, a week later, New Hampshire's in the spotlight. Now everybody's yeah. attention is shifting to South Carolina and Nevada as That's we try right. to pick our candidates for New our Hampshire, parties. We we feel like uh, we feel like the prom queen that like no one has ever noticed before, and then once every four years she gets a date, and everybody goes, "Oh, look at New Hampshire!" And we are like, "Yay!" We get all excited, and then everybody leaves. Oh, that was a dance, and now we're done. So we go back and hide in the corner for the next four years, and that's just how we roll. I think um, Iowa is like much the same too. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, there's yeah, different. W- they they handle their uh, their nomination of their of the candidates differently. There's a caucus yeah. versus a primary. I live in a caucus state, so I'm a little bit more. Okay. Uh, yeah. Primaries are simple. Yeah. You just go to the yeah. the booth and you you vote. Caucuses are yeah, a little what is, different. What does Iowa have? I think they have. Well, that's where James Kirk, captain of the Enterprise, oh, he's yeah. from Iowa. So there, yep. they've got that. But I mean, I don't know anything else about Iowa to be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> well, we always joke about you know. There's a lot of rivalry. We or surrounding states like to like to jab at each other. I'm sure you and Vermont yeah. and. And man, Massachusetts, you know, kind of do that kind of thing. But Minnesota and Wisconsin, we'll Minnesota and Iowa, and we talk about the tree or the lake in in Iowa because okay. it's a okay. it's a plain state, you know. So yeah, it's very flat. And... <laughs> That's great. Yeah, our our rivalry is mostly with Massachusetts. There's this love hate relationship between New Hampshire and Massachusetts. Vermont kind of keeps to themselves, uh, Maine, whatever. But the the Mass New Hampshire thing is a is a big deal. Um, it's like, we don't, we don't like them up here, but we love all their sports and their money and their everything, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. we want them here, but we don't, you know, and you're it's wearing a, weird... a Boston Red Sox hat. <laughs> I am. And I've actually got a, a Patriots, Patriots shirt on. So, uh, uh you know, we're, we're not legitimate enough to have our own sports team. So we really, we, we rely on Massachusetts. Well, that one, at least they call them the New England Patriots. <laughs> That's true. That's true. They love us enough in that regard. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So, um, no, but it's, it's good. I mean, it, you know, New Hampshire is my home. New England is, is my home. Um, born I grew and up here. Grew yeah, up here? actually I grew up here. Uh, I grew up, uh, right actually a, a mile down the street from where I pastor, uh, was raised here. Uh, very, very small town. I mean, my hometown is only is less than 4,000 people. It's very small, but the thing about New Hampshire too, and this is like most rural states or rural areas is that, um, 
it's not uncommon to have to travel 20 or 30 minutes to go and do something. So like there's no bank in my town. So if I want to go and get money out of the ATM, I got to go drive 20 minutes to go to an ATM. So everybody, we're, we're used to living a life that you travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so what that means is that when it, when it comes to church, we always traveled to find a good church. You know, we never stayed in town to go to church. We always were on the road. And you just kind of accepted that. And, um, you know, other places in the South, you've got a church on every single street corner up here. You know, you might have to travel 30 or 40 minutes to find a church that preaches the gospel or preaches the Bible. Well, that's the caveat right there. And and we face that here in the Twin Cities, too. There's a lot of churches. But if you want to find one that's going to preach the gospel, you might have to drive a while to get to one. Yeah. Oh, sure. For sure. Um, So it's we you know, we kind of I grew up with that with that assumption in mind. And um you know, was raised in a church and a family that went to church and, and the church I grew up in, they, uh, the pastor did preach the gospel and he, he did preach the Bible. Um, I don't know. It's funny. I've been playing around in my mind, thinking about my own testimony. I thought I was saved as a kid and then just fell away. But the more I examine my own life, um, I'm starting to think I was a false convert. And I've never, I'd never thought that before until a few months ago. But now that I'm looking at it from a different set of eyes, I'm I'm challenging my own testimony and saying, you know, I don't think I was. I th- I think I I knew who Jesus was. I I I wanted to love him. I as much as I knew of him, I loved him. But when it comes to Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I lived in open rebellion uh, to God for all of my teens and early twenties. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was nothing in my life that was resembling a Christian. So. I don't think I got saved until I was in my early 20s, oh. and my life has been different since that point. Yep. Um, so it's uh, it's interesting um, thinking that you were saved at one point when you might have actually been saved at another point. Well, what's so. your denominational background growing up? Oh, my uh, goodness. What kind of church did you go um, to growing up? Growing up? When, I was a, when I was a kid, we went to a Baptist church, so I, I was a, a Baptist, um, but up here... In, in the South, you've got the Southern Baptists. There are very few SBC churches in the, in the Northeast. There's a mm-hmm. couple. Of, I'm learning there's more than I thought, but we are mostly American Baptist. And American Baptist in the last 20 years has really gone uh, liberal in a lot of cases. And so all the Baptist churches up here that were Bible churches uh, rejected the de- denomination and then just changed their name and became all Bible churches. So okay. uh, I was going to a Baptist church, which then later was called Bible Church. Um, but mostly it's a Baptistic tradition. Um, and that's kind of, I still kind of hold to that now. Um, even though we're t- technically a non-denominational church, sure. uh, we're still, we still dunk them. So it's, yep. that's our, that's our yeah, affiliation. See, I grew up, uh, evangelical Lutheran, which is big here in Minnesota, oh, wow. Wisconsin. And, uh, my, you know, my parents took me to ELCA <laughs> churches all the time. And, uh, you know, we, I, I look back and I wouldn't even say I was a false convert. For the longest mm. time, I just was unsaved until I was about yeah. 21. But uh, but then once I was saved and I started understanding the gospel, I look back to the days of confirmation. You know, I was sprinkled as a baby. And so yeah. we Lutherans go through confirmation. I say we Lutherans. I used to be one, not anymore. But, yeah. Um, and there were uh, clear uh, aspects of the gospel that were taught to us. We went through the mm. Ten Commandments. We went through the cross. Yeah. and even at any LCA church. And it really surprised me later on as I started to understand the gospel and then recollect what I went through as in confirmation that even that really liberal church did give me a lot more of a firm foundation than I would have given them credit for. Mm. Yeah. Which I, I'm happy I can say I wouldn't take my kids to those churches today because I just don't know what they're going to get. Yeah. 
Yeah. But, but it's by the grace of God. I mean, it's it's amazing yeah. what God will allow you to to go through and he'll bring you through some of these places. And I know when my wife and I, when we first got together, we were going to a, a larger church, I guess by New England standards, it's a mega church, even <laughs> though a mega church up here is like a thousand people at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bigger church for this region. And uh, it started off really well, but by the end of it, they were, they had watered down a lot of the teaching to the point where we didn't even, we weren't getting anything. We weren't taught anything. I left there knowing nothing of the gospel uh, other than Jesus loves you and he's great. You know, that's it. Mm -hmm. So we look back and it's like, how how did we, how did we come to faith here? Like, how did we learn? You know, there were certainly some teachers that we really appreciated that were great, that led us well, but by and large, we didn't understand these things. And it's like, how, how in the world did we survive? And by, but it's God's grace. I mean, he, he knows who were his and no one can pluck him out of his hand. And so uh, it's amazing what God will, will bring you through and, and he, what he'll save you out of. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, his sovereignty is, is perfect. And I'm so grateful to him. Well, that, that foundation that he lays even at an early age, even among right. a pagan culture. That's to, right. To prepare you for reception of the gospel on his time is just amazing. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. So I've got a little outline here of uh, your book. As you're, you said you haven't written it yet, but you sent me a, a chapter listing and kind of your yes. thought process and whatnot. And my thought and, process. And 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 it's a great. Uh, I look forward to reading it when you're done because it's a. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, um, so I, I'd like to jump into the kind of the history because New England's yeah. got a very rich history, reform oh, history, yeah. and it's yeah. it's really amazing. And 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 if you really uh, dig into it, you see that that New England reformed history not only shaped us as a country, but really transformed the world as we know it and made us in, the whole world into what it is now. Yeah, I mean, this, and the, the amazing thing about it is, you know. Uh, being up here, you kind of know the general, this is, you know, I mean, you drive around, you see all these old church buildings and you know, you know, this something was going on back in the day. And when I went to Northampton a couple months ago, when I got to go to Jonathan Edwards church and, you know, the history is all there, but when you actually sit down and really study, uh, what went on here, who came out of here, what was being taught, uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, the it's just astounding what what was going on, what God did through this little tiny chunk of property. We actually, we were really a light to all the nations at one point in history. It, it was astounding. So I, I've been tremendously blessed and thankful uh, to be able to spend some time uh, studying the history and, and actually writing about it. Uh, I'm taking a kind of a different approach. Uh, I've been talking about this book for so long now, um, you know, up, upwards of the last six months or so. As I've been working on it, it's been kind of a neat process to be able to sort of explore with people. Every time mm-hmm. I talk to Landon about it, he's like, so what are you working on now? I'm like, you know what? I don't really know. <laughs> so we're, we kind of work through the process together. But um, what I'm doing is I'm actually releasing a series of articles uh, that are built off of chapter one, which is a historical overview of the history of New England. The chapter is going to be very short, but what I'm doing for our website for Entreating Favor is I'm going to release a series of articles that go a little bit deeper than even my book is going to go and try to sort of highlight some of the nuance of what took place here. I've already done one called um, When the Reformation Came to America, mm-hmm. and it talks about the Refor- the Reformation fires from Europe 
and the, the pilgrims who were Puritans, who were, you know, um, you know, truest to the Reformation heritage, you know, leaving England when it has, had gone basically apostate and coming overseas and starting fresh over here. So, you know, we, we actually got to reap the benefits of the, of the Reformation 100 years after it was kind of dying down in some areas. Yep. So, uh, I mean, we had the most radical reformers leaving and coming here and setting down roots here. Um, and I, I just never thought about that concept before. You always think about Puritans and the pilgrims and they got the funny hats and, you know, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't smoke and drink dinner and, and yeah. Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, so on and so forth. But I mean, these were, these are Bible preachers, uh, you know, Bible scholars, missionaries, evangelists. Uh, these families were devoted to the scriptures. They taught their children the scriptures. They catechized them. Um, they were, I mean, I, I read a, um, a stat from Thomas Kidd, who's a, uh, a, a New England history scholar, and he was talking about how before, uh, I believe, 1700, I think it was like 1690, 90-something percent of all the churches up here were reformed in their theology. Uh, the Baptist churches actually were reformed in their theology. And then at a certain point, they all flopped and rejected Re- Reformation doctrine, Reformed theology. So it's like we have this titanic shift from from uh, historical Reformed theology into something completely different, Arminianism and whatever like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our history is incredibly, um, incredibly rich, but it's like somewhere we just kind of lost all of that. And I'm, I, in the book, I try to trace some of where that where that happens. Um, yeah, it's interesting you say that because, uh, yeah, from uh, from not not specifically New England, but the whole Northeast corridor, you not only have such a rich Reformed history, but the, we end up getting a lot of uh, really bad teaching comes out too. And, and uh, oh, I talked with, yeah. um, I think it was Dan Phillips when we talked about his book, The World Tilting Gospel. Um, he brought up how the four biggest cults in America came from a small area within 200 miles of each other. Mm, the, the Mormons, mm. the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Seventh-day Adventists, and uh, I think it was Christian Science. I can't remember what the other one was. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> that was our bad. <laughs> well, I, but it, it, I think that's expected, though. When you've got the the an area that's so faithful to the word, you know, the, yeah. the enemy's going to come in and try to sow seeds that are going to destroy. That's that. right, and that's exactly right. It, the the enemy doesn't doesn't create new uh, cults in in Thailand or. Uh, Sri Lanka or whatnot, because they're they 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 have no light there to begin with. So why bring right. a, a dim light? It, it doesn't serve his kingdom. And it's interesting because if you read, you know, Galatians chapter one, Paul says, if even if anyone, an angel from heaven, comes to you and preaches to you a different gospel than the one I've pre- I've presented to you, he's accursed, he's anathema. So it, it's it's fascinating to me that you have Joseph Smith, who's in Vermont, so a couple hours from my house who has reportedly seen and had this angel from heaven come to him and give him a different gospel a couple hours away from where I live. Like the, the you know, the prince of the power of the air is coming to New England and he's sowing seeds of false gospel mm-hmm. and people are eating it up. And it's, and it's become this huge cult. And it's like, this is my backyard, man. Like mm-hmm. this is, it makes me crazy, but it's like, that's what happens. But then he, recall he, what happened to Joseph Smith. Oh, well, He got yeah. run out of there. <laughs> yeah. There still was yeah. enough light there that he wasn't going to yeah. set I mean, down roots know, there. 
half hour from where I live is in Bow, New Hampshire. Uh, we have LNG White's. I think it's LNG White is from there. That's, that was the Christian Science. Yep, Christian Science. You know, mm -hmm. and you know they have historical landmarks for her, and yeah, it's all of it's up here. I mean, yep. we've been to my wife and I have been to Salem, Massachusetts, um, which actually I was I was talking on a different show about how Salem is show? oftentimes. Well, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to name drop here, but I mean, <laughs> I was having a different conversation with someone else about um, that the, most people think about Salem when they think Salem witch trial. Yep. So Salem is known for this terrible thing. But in truth, you know, we had some of the best missionaries in history come out of Salem, Massachusetts. But it's like, again, we're not known for that. We're known for the bad thing. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there, there's just such rich, uh, good and bad history out of this region. But, and it's frankly, it's just fascinating. Uh, and I feel really, um, really blessed to be here. I mean, I, I love this region. I love these people, but it's like, you know, my heart breaks and a lot of pastors up here, our heart breaks because you look at where we came from and, and you just, how did this happen? You know, why did this happen? We, we were running so well and then we just turned, we just mm -hmm. turned away and it's, it's the most heartbreaking thing. And, well, that's um, why I want listeners to not, yeah, not not be too preoccupied with the fact that we're talking about New England. I mean, that's kind of the genesis of of the thought yeah. process was New England, but this really applies to so many places throughout the world. And oh yeah, and Northern Europe. I mean, it had such a rich history. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of those reformers came out of Northern Europe, and yeah, and yet look where they are. They're uh, even further down the road to apostasy. Poor poor John Knox is a uh, is a parking space now. I mean, it's, oh yeah, you know, so it's. Um, yeah, it's, it's very sad how it works and it's, it's been going on, you know, this from the beginning of, of the church. I mean, even the, the, the most faithful churches in the first century, many of them fell away. And, you know, that's why John wrote his, you know, has his letters or Christ gave John letters to the churches because a lot of them were falling away mm -hmm. even at the end of the first century. And so it's, it's this cycle, this sin cycle, like in Judges that we see, we go through this cycle and it's, it's heartbreaking certainly for the Lord, but it's heartbreaking when you look at just where we've come from and, and it's you important wants, to keep that in mind, uh, to, to, yeah. to, uh, to look in those first century churches. That, yeah. Uh, a great conversation a few months ago with Frank Turk and, and on, on our, our relationship to churches, and a gem that came out of that discussion was talking about how there's never been a golden age uh, mm. in, in anything. You know, We were specifically talking about churches, but there's never been a golden age of the church. Mm. And it's a, so to strive that we have to reach or recapture this golden age is uh is short-sighted thinking because there's never been one and and our job in the church is to is is to win souls because that golden age doesn't come until after well, there goes my book i'm trying to recapture the <laughs> golden age in new england and i guess it's impossible now <laughs> well i don't uh, want no, to no, dissuade no, you I, but no no i know <laughs> it's it's funny because um you know the, yeah there there is certainly I, i'm aware that i'm i'm certainly um chasing sort of an idealistic um, history. Mm. And, and certainly it, it's not possible for us to go back. We're, we're never going to get Jonathan Edwards back out of the grave and have him go preach in our churches. That's not going to happen. And, and we're not going to, we're not going to do anything that's going to, to, to enculturate people and, and sort of get them acting more Christian. That's not the point. And I, and I think that's a really no, good distinction that you made. Yep. And I, I think it needs to be said that you know, we're not, we're not, we, we shouldn't be trying to make people act like Christians. Mm -hmm. The whole point is to get the gospel out to people so that if the Lord is going to work 
and save people up here that he's, he's, he's got the workers to do it. Uh, Right now, I mean, the harvest is so plentiful. There's all these people up here who have quite literally never heard the gospel, like not even cultural Christianity. They've never heard anything about Jesus ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's an opportunity here to reach an unreached people group for the first time. Is it any wonder, just talking about the the primaries, that any wonder that the majority voted for Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I wrote I wrote an article just recently on, on the blog about this, and it's like, I, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, um, I, we'll, we'll probably end up bouncing all over the place here. Oh, but, yeah, that's um, fine. You know, when, when I was re- doing research for the book, um, you know, you, you go on to all these different, um, you know, uh, uh, stats and reporting agencies, you know, you go to Pew Research, and according to Pew Research, 65% of New England is Christian. They self-identify as Christian, 65%. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually kind of look at the numbers a little bit more in detail, first of all, it's just what people say they are. So people lie because yeah. <laughs> they, they yeah. don't even know what that is. But when you actually look at... They celebrate at Christmas month, so... that You got it. They're in church twice a year, and they tuck in their flannel well, maybe when they, they go. maybe they even go so. to church. They just they exchange gifts at Christmas, so that makes My great-grandmother Christian. was a Christian, so therefore I'm a Christian. Right. That, that, that's what we get. So, But when you, go, when you go a little bit deeper, the percentage is not 65. It's not even 20. It's not even 10. We're looking more in the range of 3 to 5 to 6%. Some cities... When you really get into, you know, evangelical underpinnings, you know, biblical Christianity, do you believe the doctrines of the Bible? Uh, in some cities, it's 2%, 1.5%, 2%, 3%. So it's not not even close to, forget majority, we're not even on the grid. Yeah. So so the, the, the general thinking up here, uh, even people who profess Christianity, is not biblical Christianity as uh, as we would understand it. So the kind of the focus on on this whole project is, uh, you know, we talked about the the that there is no incantation to bring revival anywhere. That's right. But if we're going to serve the Lord and 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 pray that He would bring revival, He expects certain things out of us to get there. And that's and so right. This is kind of um, how can we do what we're called to do, and then let Him finish the the job. That's right. So, so um, yeah, so we're, you know, this is really, it's, it's a call to action, but the, the, the general message, and it's nothing new, nothing special, but the, the message I'm trying to bring that I'm trying to point to is that uh, we need to be a people who are committed to, to biblical faithfulness, to, to faithfulness to the Word of God, but also to God Himself. And if, if we're going to ask God to bring about any kind of blessing or anything, revival, renewal, whatever you want. Because people pray for this all the time. There's a lot of churches, a lot of pastors Mm -hmm. that are up here, and they'll talk about it openly. Oh, man, it'd be great if we had revival up here, and they're thinking big tent revival and lots of people and, you know, whatever they're going to think. But the thing about it is, is that uh, God's not going to bring revival if you don't preach the gospel. He's not going to bring revival if you don't preach from the word, if you don't mm-hmm. preach the word, he's not going to bring revival. If your heart is sick with sin, indwelling sin, and you're living in open rebellion to him, he's just not. And that's not to put God in a box, as people will say. It's saying he simply won't because that's not what he does. 
if anything, he's going to deliver us over to our own sin because right, we rejected him. The part of the judgment that comes on the on the sin that that's right. So we can't we can't sit up here, uh, whether we're you know believers or even people who say they're believers. We can't sit up here and say we want God to do something up here if we're not willing to put our foot forward and say, God, we're going to obey you. We're going to trust you. We're going to live for you. We're going to be you know submitted to you. Uh, we we can't ask for anything because we're not even willing to to submit. So so the book itself is is a series of uh, biblical prescriptions for what we can do on our part. And if God chooses to bring about blessing or revival or renewal or anything like that, if he if he chooses to do it, then he can do it with this soil that we're kind of trying to till. Yeah. Um, but but you can be sure that he will not act if we're living in open rebellion to him. So let's go through uh, some of those things that we are called to do in order to yeah. facilitate that. You're, you dedicate some space to the pulpit and bringing back the pulpit. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for, for the longest time, uh, the pulpit was was central up here. Uh, every church, and, and it's, a, it's amazing because I've read a lot of uh, work by Ian Murray. Ian Murray's written extensively on revival and uh, revival in New England and Puritanism and things like that. His work has been really helpful. And he talks about how during this awakening kind of age, first and second, um, you had the big guns. You had Jonathan Edwards. You had George Whitfield traveling up and down, itinerant preaching. But he makes note of the fact that you had small town, no name, so to speak, pastors who were just slugging it out faithfully in their pulpits week in and week out for decades and that that labor that they were doing, and he actually—it's cool because he actually digs up a couple of their names, and we get to we get to read about some of these men. But there was a lot of towns that had pastors with tiny congregations, and they were just working hard, preaching the word. And when and when the awakening actually happened, it was uh, it was given a place to to move, and people were actually uh, receptive to a movement of the spirit of God because they were so used to hearing the word of God being preached and they were and their hearts were receptive to God. So it was all these pastors that were just preaching the Bible. That was the the soil that God was sowing all of this into versus the revivalist pastors. I want to make a distinction between revival and revivalism. Uh-huh. All the revivalist pastors were just running around up and down the coast, just preaching and doing altar calls and trying to excite people. It was the faithful pastors in the small towns uh, that were uh, were accomplishing, if you will, real revival through faithful preaching of the Word of God. And uh, my my call for people for churches is to give God His pulpit back. We we have stolen it away from Him. And mm-hmm. now in New England, you have universalism up here, you have Unitarianism up here, you have all kinds of false doctrine, and we're we're, we're preaching new age, we're preaching moralism, we're preaching everything else under the sun except his own word. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm begging pastors and churches to, to give God his pulpit back and let him speak. When God speaks to his people, then the church, it, it, they submit to him, to his voice, not the voice of pastors and whoever else has any thoughts of man-made wisdom. So... Um, that's, that's gotta be step number one. We have got to start preaching the word of God again up here. Very well said. And so you move on from there to say tilling up hardened soil is, is how you'll title the chapter. 
Or you I talk. get very ag- ag- what is it agrarian? Agrarian, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, we got lots uh, of that up here. We got lots of farms, and you know, farms, huh? Farms, lots wicked of awesome accents. farms. Oh wicked yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be careful because there's different accents. There's a down easter, which is kind of more rural. My my father says farm, you know, which is different than the than the southie accent. But uh, how did you anyway. escape that? You don't have a. You, you I have a non-regional accent. Non-regional accent, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because when my wife gets tired, she'll say she'll say pack. You know, <laughs> I'm like, what did you just say? You just, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, yeah, so so it's up here for sure. Uh, I don't know how I maybe I'm just maybe I reject my own my own uh, history, my own culture. I don't know. It's like a shock um, when you go down to like say Atlanta. And you're yeah. expecting a thick southern accent in you know downtown Atlanta. Everybody speaks this, you know just like anywhere like, else. How are you? You're like, well, what's that all about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah. Anyway, we're we're supposed to be talking about real things, and we're just talking about silliness. <laughs> I love it. That's where we go, man. Um, so yeah, we're talking about. Um, I, I have the chapter title I'm working with, and again, all of this is subject to change. No clue. Uh, but what I'm talking about is this concept of tilling up hard soil. And, and I get that from uh, Hosea chapter 10, um, talking about uh, repentance. And he actually, Hosea talks about sowing with a view to righteousness, reaping in accordance with kindness, breaking up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. So this this agrarian imagery of actually tilling up hard-packed soil of your own heart so that God may rain down righteousness on you. It's a beautiful picture of repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I, I have to admit, I stole that allusion from Sinclair Ferguson. He wrote a great book called um, The Grace of Repentance. I think that's the name of the book. And if you're going to steal from somebody, if Ferguson's a good one to do it. Hey, I have no qualms about <laughs> saying my best stuff comes from better guys. So yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I I had a lot of fun really uh, accessing some of these some of these uh, faithful Christian men and and uh, generously quoting from them and attributing <laughs> as much as I possibly can, saying, "Now go read this guy. Don't read me. Yeah. Read this guy." No, but anyway, so he drew attention to that concept for me, and I was really thankful because it's exactly what we need up here. We have. We're even called the frozen chosen. Like that's that's our. I thought that know, was nut- what we were. I mean, we're the the, the, you guys the upper can, Midwest. You guys can share I, it. You share it. Okay. Yeah, we're older, so we you know we have we uh. lay claim to that. But either way, we that's what we think about ourselves as being is the frozen <laughs> chosen. So there there is this hard packed frost heave soil in our hearts up here, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's got to be tilled. It's got to be. Uh, it's got to be unearthed, and um, the concept is that we need to get back to a place where we are in repentance of our own sin. And the, the mistake is made where people say, uh, well, the gospel is repent and believe. So as long as I confess my sins to Christ at the beginning, I'm saved and I can go on by, about my merry way. Mm-hmm. And every single place in the Bible that you read, it's not just confess and be done with it. It's to live in a constant state of confession, and when, whenever you sin, that you're living in in obedience to God and you're living in a state of repentance. So we have right. to get back into the habit of that's confessing. that's really what belief is. I mean, that, when you get down right. to it, belief isn't just ascending mentally to that's something. Right. A d- belief is that you actually change your worldview in, in the way you do, do you live your life. 
That's right. And you listen to Jesus when he says that if you love me, you will obey me. That's right. There's um, there's a common distinction that's used even now, but I think it comes at least in the modern language um, from Burkhoff, and he he lists three aspects of repentance. One is intellectual, uh, two is emotional, third is volitional. Mm-hmm. So, you know, metanoia, the Greek word metanoia means to change one's mind, to, have a, to think after it's a changing of mind, but it, but it has impact into your emotions, but it eventually impacts your will. There's something in you that has to want to change and say, I, I'm living in rejection to God. I need to do something different and repent and go this way because that's the way that God wants me to go. And yep. that's this process, this living in state of wanting to align ourselves with God and obey him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's something I'm calling for in this as well. It's, again, a, just a prescription to say, look, if we want God to move in New England, we have to be a people who are committed. Not Once we hear the word of God preached from our pulpits, now what do you do with it? Let's repent, get on our face, manifest a true heart of faith. But we, we can't be living in rebellion to God because he's going to bring nothing but judgment if, uh, if we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a call for re- repentance, and you end up and with soil for, that's harder than it started with. In the oh, end. it's terrible. Yeah, right. yeah, and that that leads itself into holiness. You know, living a, a life that is honorable to God, and a, a, you know, seeking after righteousness. And I try to make the distinction that it's not a matter of workspace righteousness. I'm not advocating for you know living in obedience in order that God might save. It's it's got to be it's sola fide. I mean, it's you know we're talking about living uh, faith. And then having that have arms and legs, James says, faith without works is dead. So we have to get back to that, letting the the works of repentance bear out because of the faith that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to take a little break. I uh, usually will stop in the middle of uh, an episode to do a little bit of promotion. And, and the promotion that I've been running a lot lately is for Entreating Favor and Landon Chapman and uh, Fire Away podcast. Uh, which you just gave me the thumbs up because that's uh, right because you and Landon are, uh, are are kind of partners in ministry over at Entreating Favor and yeah um, you know Landon and I have been uh, really enjoying each other's podcasts uh, for quite some time um, he's got a great show over at Fire Away and uh, I will play that uh, that that promo but uh, I I I don't just play it because uh, he's another Christian podcast Landon and I really do genuinely like each other's podcasts and we really promote each other's podcasts. He's got a great ministry over there. And, and you, you mentioned your article that you've already written in a series that you're working on. And that's over at Landon's uh, ministry page to entreating favor. And uh, great to have you guys um, uh, together, but uh, oh yeah, it, uh, also it's, it, it's, I genuinely feel joy in, in promoting uh, that ministry because um, you know, we, we built up a relationship and I, I really, mm. I really like Landon. I like what he's doing. I like what you're doing over there. So oh, I will take a quick break awesome. and, and uh, do a little bit of promotion and come back and talk more about uh, reviving New England. So. This is Echo Zoe Radio. My name is Landon Chapman, and I want to tell you about the Fireway Podcast. The Fireway Podcast is the radio ministry of entreatingfavor.com and the entreatingfavor.com website. Each week, I discuss a variety of topics from a mostly reformed viewpoint ranging from current events to scriptural exposition. My goal is to be faithful to the Word of God, to glorify Him, and in the spirit of 2 Corinthians 3.18, be transformed into Christ's likeness. You may find the Fireway Podcast at EntreatingFavor.com, SermonAudio.com, subscribe on iTunes, 
or subscribe using your favorite podcatcher application. Do you know the parable of the fig tree? In the book, The Parable of the Fig Tree, pastor and teacher Ryan Habana explores the scripture's primary text regarding the second coming of Christ and the events that surround this glorious event. By taking the reader through the Olivet Discourse, the Thessalonian Epistles, the Book of Daniel, and the Book of Revelation, Ryan teaches how we should learn and apply the parable of the fig tree in order to be watching and well prepared for the return of the King of Kings. Get the ebook, The Parable of the Fig Tree, today at Echo Zoe Store online at echozoe.com slash store. Thanks, uh, Nate. It's been a great discussion so far. I'm really enjoying uh, it. I always like to focus on gospel stuff. And so anything that gets us talking about the gospel is, you know, that's the whole point of, of the podcast is just to highlight the gospel and the dis- different aspects of it. So, Amen. Um, Amen. So we talked about uh, some of the history of New England. We've talked about the pulpits in New England and, and bringing back good gospel preaching. Uh, we talked about tilling that soil and getting people uh, in a mindset of repentance and and receptive to the good preaching that we'd like to see, not just in New England, but in, in all of our churches around the world and stuff. But So the next step in in our faithfulness uh, as a people to God is, is uh, you say, tearing down fences, you know, fellowship, discipleship, church discipline. Mm. So... So the, the, the title, and again, so, so now we're starting to get into uncharted territory because I've, I'm still developing these later parts of the book. So uh-huh. this is going to be the weirdest, the weirdest uh, process because everybody will, will have already basically known about the book. And then right. gonna, it'll, it'll come out and they're going to be like, oh, Nobody yeah. you'll have already... to read it because you've already heard <laughs> how many different podcasts and radio. I listened to like four podcasts of Nate pontificating about this book. And, <laughs> yeah, well, you can hang on to that book, Pickowitz. That's fine. No, yeah. so uh, Robert Frost is a, he's kind of one of our heroes in New, in New Hampshire. He's, he's a native New Hampshireman. And, uh, and he, he written, he's written a lot of poetry and he popularized this, this line that good fences make good neighbors. It wasn't original to him, but he mm-hmm. made it popular. And and I don't remember which poem it was from. My wife is a literary genius, not me, but um, it, it kind of characterizes a lot of the heart of New Englanders right now. And I don't mean that to say that people are cold up here, but people are very guarded. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very protective of their property, of their space, of their time, um, they don't want to be taken advantage of. There's a there's an Emersonian self-reliance, uh, a, a self-sufficiency, a work ethic that's based on self. Uh, it's very cold and, and uh, tough up here many months out of the year. So you work hard in the months that you can, and then you're basically shut in your house for months that you can't work. So a lot of contractors have to work really, really hard when they can. And so you, some people you just don't see for periods of time. And so what it creates is a, a series of islands where people just live on their own, um, don't go to each other's houses for dinner, don't don't talk to each other. In the town that I live in right now, there's no center of, of community. Um, there's no like central place to go. There's no restaurants. There's no, there's no pub for those people who would gather to pubs. 
There's just nothing central. So it's just a series of houses. Anybody lives by themselves. And so what's happened is that the churches up here have really struggled greatly to get away from this individualized Christianity, uh, this faith that lives by themselves. You know, you go to church, you plug in with people that you know, and then you leave in the rest of the six and a half days of the week. You don't talk to anybody. You don't visit them. You don't call them. You don't. We, we, we were isolated. And not only is it, you know, has it has a twinge of selfishness, but it also actually hurts the body because then you don't know what other people need and you can't mm-hmm. minister to them and you can't help them and you can't disciple them and you can't shepherd them. So, so I'm, I'm praying that, that people would realize their need for community in a region that is not really akin to community. It's not mm-hmm. like in a, in a city where you can kind of open all the doors and have someone with a barbecue in their backyard and everybody kind of comes and gathers, which I've, I've lived in, in in cities before where that thing is not as uncommon. But up here, you know, it's harder to do. So mm-hmm. um, so the, the goal is to try to inspire people to, to fellowship, to, to pour into body life, uh, to really learn how to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And what that what does that look like in a region like like New England? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the goal. Well, I like how you put that because I think it, pulling back and looking at it in more of a universal uh, mindset, uh, it, that really does highlight even where we do have a more of a community and and camaraderie amongst uh, neighbors and whatnot. That uh, that fellowship is very important, and mm-hmm. we talk about that time and time again about a fellowship within the church, and it, it's. Uh, you know, our church has always been focused on Acts, uh, Acts chapter two, and and the they, we talk about the doctrines of grace, but we also need to talk about the means of grace. And you know, we I did an mm. early show about means of grace. We talk about preaching the the word, fellowship, breaking of bread, and baptism are are means of grace that are outlined and are outlined in Acts chapter two. But uh, that that that's very important and. and uh, had many past discussions about it too. And, and you can't just, even if you're saved, you can't just go on and get your teaching online and, and, and read your Bible by yourself. You really need that interaction. You need to be around other people, keep you accountable, um, to, to, to help others in their needs, allow them to help you in your needs. Uh, it's, it's such a vital and important part of our, uh, community as a church. Yeah, and just to highlight, you know, in Hebrews chapter ten, we all we all know this passage. It's just usually like the uh, the church attendance command, mm-hmm. uh, but it's really more than that. He says in verse twenty four, "Let us uh, consider how to simulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near." So, so the command is really, it's, it's a command, yes, but it's also a prescription. Look, don't hide out in your house. Don't, don't run away. You know, don't, you know, so often people uh, up here just won't go to church. They'll find something online or they'll worship by them. They'll worship by themselves, they'll say, but, but we really need each other. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, it's funny, Gabe Hughes has a, has a, when we understand the text video and I, mm-hmm. he talks about church attendance and the opening line is, you know, if you don't go to church, you're probably going to hell. <laughs> and, and, and I love it. I love that he does that. But, yeah. but he explains that, look, you know, part of being a Christian 
is that you're, you're bought and paid for and redeemed by the blood of Christ. Christ redeems you unto himself, but by doing so, he also saves you into a community, his own body, to be with other people. And one of the marks of, of true faith in First John is that you actually have a love for the brethren. Uh, that you want to be, t- I just said brethren, like John MacArthur does, not brethren, brethren, anyway. Okay. Uh, you know, but you actually love other believers and want to be with them and want to encourage them. And so, yeah. so the command in Hebrews is, you know, not just if you don't go to church, you're going to go to hell, but look, you need to to be together because it's good for you. It, it helps you to to learn how to to be fruitful and it, it demonstrates your love and your obedience. And yep. uh, so if if we if we neglect that, either logistically and say, I just can't get over there today or whatever reason we make up for ourselves, we're we're cutting ourselves off from the body of Christ and thereby we're cutting ourselves off by, uh, from, from a a means of grace, as you put it, but, you know, but a a genuine blessing, uh, a privilege to be part of a community of believers. How else are you going to grow? How else are you going to get discipled? How else are you going to be made aware of sin and be counseled? How else, you know, um, are, are you going to, to increase in your love for Christ by being with his people and sitting under biblical teaching. So um, it's just so important that we tear down fences, get our eyes off of ourselves, stop being so individualistic and start to look at how do I pour into my neighbor? How do I, and, you know, and even for the sake of evangelism, yeah. you know, getting into other people's houses and spending time with them. It's just, um, we're so closed off up here and I don't think we necessarily want to be. It's just kind of the way you are. And, um, I'll never forget. I know we're, I'm kind of doing a lot of the talking here, but, um, that's the point. You're the guest. <laughs> I guess that's the point, right. Um, I remember when we, when we first moved to this part of town, we moved into the parsonage next to the church and I was outside, you know, raking the yard. It hadn't been touched in 18 years and I'm out there raking and my neighbor across the way, uh, sees me there. He never seen anybody in that place before. He comes over and introduces himself and I, Hey, how you doing? And after a few minutes of talking, he starts showing me where the property line is. And I'm like, okay, that's that's great and that's fine. And he, he kind of gives me this 20-minute talk about where his property ends and mine begins. And then he kind of, all right, have a good day, and he leaves. And my wife looks at me and she says, do you realize that man just came over here for the purpose, only purpose, of showing you where his property line is <laughs> so that you don't cross it? And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what he just did. Um, <laughs> wow. we, we are so that's that's our mindset. Don't he didn't even don't want touch, you raking the leaves on his grass. No, lawn? don't wow. touch my property. And he was nice about it. I mean, he wasn't mean to me, sure. but he just wanted to, me to know where his lot ended and where mine began and just keep that in mind. And, oh, all right. So it's like we have we whether there's a, a physical fence there or not in his mind, there's a fence and you don't cross it. And that, that's the, my neighbor, uh, my other neighbor across the street is a believer. Same thing with him, his neighbor. It's like, that's what we do up here. You know, we're so protective mm-hmm. over, of our stuff. The church does the same thing. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. No, 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 no. All, yeah. all the substance is Christ's and, and we are stewards of it, you know? So uh, my goal is to, everything I just said, to get that in the book somehow. So, <laughs> so Lord willing, that'll well, it's be... Re- it's recorded. Just go back and listen <laughs> later. There you go. Send me the transcript and I'll copy it and paste it in the document. Wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys over at Entreating Favor really must have a nice budget. <laughs> Don't tell... I make him make out transcripts and he emails them to me. Don't tell him that no one else does that. Because he, okay. <laughs> I do outlines. Go to echoesaway.com slash 94. I'll have an outline. That's the best you'll get out of me. That's good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So 
that that's kind of the heart behind it. It's something I think is absolutely essential. Um, mm-hmm. And and one more aspect to this too is um, if you're not committed to a body of believers, people that you know and love, a fellowship that you cherish, if heaven forbid you fall into sin, a, a, a grievous sin, a sin that's going to to snare you. Mm-hmm. then church discipline's not going to work on you either. Right. Because if, if your church body is take it or leave it, then when the church comes to you and says, brother, you're in sin, you're going to go, so I don't need you people anyway. So, you know, God has built this with a safeguard that if you love this fellowship and you fall into sin, I've built in a security system to help you to get out of it because hopefully they'll see it, call it out in you. Just like Matthew 18 says, there's a process to do it. Yep. And it's for your own good to reconcile you, to bring you back so that you don't fall into sin and into, into wounding yourself. So um, we, we just have to. These are the things we have to do. Um, otherwise, you know, it's not gonna, we're not going to grow up here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you move on from, from, from the community aspects to, to church planning. And that's why I think so many people want to just jump over and get to that. They yeah. want to jump right to the church planning. Yeah. Something, uh, it's interesting because um, the chapter that I'm going for and the kind of the idea that I have in my mind is that there's really three levels to how we can approach this because it's one thing to have all the stuff in your head, but what do you do with it? So I'm, I'm approaching this with three levels, one being rededication. There's a lot of churches up here who, who love the Lord, who are doing a lot of really good things. And I'm please, you know, I, people need to know that I'm not standing in, in judgment of anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, it's to to each to each his own mastery stands or falls. So I'm I'm not the one who's judging this stuff. But if you're if you're in a congregation that by all rights is faithful to God, but there are just some some things that could be fixed, it, it's really a call for for churches to really double down and say, okay, are we doing the things that we know are supposed to be happening? You know, is the preaching really faithful to the text, or have we kind of gone a little bit lethargic in this? You know, are, are we just kind of doing church or do we actually really care about each other? Is there a way to double down? So so the call is for churches to really examine themselves and rededicate themselves if need be. Uh, some churches up here um, are old and uh, have fallen away. They might have a semblance of, of, of faithfulness somewhere buried in the back pew, if you will. But there, but there are some churches that just need to be revitalized. And that's mm-hmm. something that's going on where pastors are coming in, even denominations are coming in, going into a body that's been either damaged by false teaching or has just kind of lost their first love and, and kind of starting, not starting over again, but really kind of going back through the process of bringing them out of this, making sure that, you know, do we have biblical elders? You know, is there sound teaching? You know, is there, are there things in here that are, are crippling us so badly? So revitalizing old churches and that, that can happen. It's hard to do, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. And then for the, for there are some towns that don't have a gospel witness period at all. There's nothing. And there's, there's whole regions that have nothing. And that's when we have to get to a point where we start to church plant. And uh, my wife and I, along with a couple other families, we planted the church that we're in right now. And we looked around and I, I grew up here and I knew that there was no gospel being preached, at least as far as I could tell people I knew didn't know the gospel up here. And we said, well, let's start a Bible church and just preach the gospel, preach the word. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's what we did. We just started, started fresh. 
and it's been a tremendous blessing, and the Lord has been doing amazing things. So we need more of that. We need church planting. We need people who can come here and really examine uh, what's going on and, and devote themselves to faithfulness. And so uh, I talk about reigniting the lamps, you know, getting the light back here uh, if the Lord would give it back to us. I mean, there are some churches we see in Revelation where God decides, I'm going to remove the lampstand. And it's his prerogative. If he decides to remove the lampstand, then he will, and there's nothing we can do to get it back. Mm-hmm. But if if there is any hope for churches up here, for, for believers to gather and, and for the gospel to go out, if there's any hope up here, certain things we have to do. And so that's what I'm hoping that this this part of the book will do is to call for that to happen. Yeah, well said. And I like how you focused all the aspects of, of the church there, not just going and starting one where there might not be one, but, but looking to ones that could be, could be fixed too. Yeah, there's certainly a way to strengthen. Sometimes there's a, there's a good work going and you just need some faithful people who can come and, and -hmm. encourage the saints and, and bring some, some help. And, uh, I think you just have to pray and, and ask the Lord to show you where best he would have you for, for us. Uh, it seemed very clear. We we were sent by another church, and so there was not just me sitting around saying, I want to go do this. There were several leaders that were saying, mm-hmm. we should go and do this, and and that's when they sent us. Um, but yeah, well, you have to It's interesting you said Lord. that, because I think I, my my uh, train of thought was just going towards uh, the, the universal church and how we work together. And you pastor one church in New Hampshire, and I attend another church in Minneapolis, but, but together yeah. we're in the same church under Christ that's right. and we that's work right. together and, and, and that needs to, that's very important too, that, yes. that we're not just little islands of, of congregations scattered around the world. I mean, we all yeah. work together. I mean, we've got uh, believers, not just in America even, but all over the world that we all need to work together and support each other. That's right. And, and, and that's, it, that's the, I think that's the real rich blessing of the time we live in. I mean, there's so oh, yeah. much wrong with our time, but the one nice thing about our time is that I can be looking at you right now with your Boston Red Sox hat <laughs> <laughs> and your, even worse, the Patriots jersey. Oh my goodness. <laughs> While I'm, you know, a thousand miles away. It's, that's great. Yeah. You know? So I, you know, I'm, I'm Oakland Ogres here. <laughs> okay, I don't even know what that is, but I, I think it's it's a fake team. I I saw oh, okay. I was a I saw a shirt for a couple of, a bunch of fake you know, like like uh I don't do fantasy football, but there it's supposed to be a fantasy football shirt. Okay, gotcha. And uh, yeah, I mean to your point about the universal church, I mean there are people that I know, especially being online, I know that they they pray for us in New England. Mm-hmm. I know people in other states, other countries, and they tell me all the time we're praying for you. And it's, that is such a blessing. Mm-hmm. And when, when someone tells me that they've been praying for me and praying for us in our church, um, I'll tell you, it's such an encouragement. And I'll, I'll tell our church, there's, um, we have, I have a, a good friend who's a pastor. Um, I always get the state wrong because it's in the South and I don't know my geography. <laughs> Where is Jake Stone? He's in Not familiar with Arkansas. He's going to slap me. <laughs> I think he's in Arkansas. I, yeah. I'm so bad. It's I'm going to get a hard time for this. But anyway, uh, he contacted me and said, we want to pray for you guys. We want to love on you. We want to support you. When, when I told our church that there is a pastor and another church, New Testament Baptist church, uh, that's that's praying for us and loves on us and everything. When I told them that, they almost they almost fell, fell out of their chair. They're, they're almost in tears just mm-hmm. knowing that other believers care about what they're doing and what's going on up here. And it's like, that's a connection 
it's so beautiful, so rich, and it's only a connection that we have in Jesus Christ. So absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. that's you know, one of the things I have enjoyed the most out of nearly eight years of podcasting is that camaraderie that is built up. The people that I've met, whether I've interviewed them or not, uh, just I to getting know to know people who listen, getting to know people who do similar things. You know, like Landon, uh, getting uh, just. We, we spent January in Phoenix. My, you know, I'm a stay-at-home dad. My wife is home on maternity leave. We've got a two-month-old now. We spent a month down in Phoenix. We had a place to stay down there, so we went down. And, and uh, just driving through Kansas on the way back and stopping at Pizza Hut and sending out a tweet. And the next thing I know, Gabe Hughes is showing up at Pizza Hut to, to <laughs> say awesome. hi. And it was great to, to, to have those connections and just be able to, to, um, to share that fellowship with people yeah. who live a world away. Yeah, that is awesome. So. So I got to, I got to ask when you, when he walked in the door and you heard, cause you must've been, I just, this is how I imagine him. You're looking the other way, talking to your wife and all of a sudden you hear this voice <laughs> behind you, creeping up behind you. Well, it wasn't is that Andy that... Olsen? You know, and, <laughs> you, that's how I picture it. So I just don't ruin it for me, man. No, I, well, <laughs> I almost have to now. It was kind of funny how it worked out. Cause I, I had tweeted and I, I at, at, you know, I at replied him so that he would see the tweet. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, "Are you in JC Junction City, Kansas?" Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, we're just uh, we're barreling through. We started in the Panhandle of Oklahoma, and yeah. we were trying to make it home to Minneapolis in the same day with four kids in the back, one of which was breastfeeding. And it was uh, it was amazing how we were able to do that. But uh, we stopped um, in Junction City, got some pizza. I sent the tweet. Turns out his church is like a mile away from Pizza Hut." where we were and he's heading to go help a parishioner in his church driving right past pizza hut. So he says, don't move. I'm on my way. And, Oh, that's so cool. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm, okay. Well, we don't have a lot of time. I'm thinking how, how long, when is he going to get here? And so my plan was I got my bill. I was going to go pay my bill and I was going to go out into the car and get my iPad where I have his phone number. And I was going to call him just to see, you know, what are you thinking? Is this like 10 minutes, 20 minutes? Yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, as I'm standing there handing my bill over to to, to pay, he walks in. Oh, that's cool. Like, Gabe and Andy? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And so I didn't even make it out to the car to get the, the phone number. But uh, there's going to be, you know, I'll tell you, especially on Twitter, it's such a funny phenomenon that we have going where some of these guys I'm never going to meet this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe I will, but some of them I probably Most won't. Most of them you won't, yeah. Most of them I probably won't. Um, and... I'm just thinking that, you know, we, we become friends here online and we tweet each other and we pray for each other and whatnot. It's going to be a really cool reunion in oh, heaven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to see these guys and some of these girls and I'm just going to, it's, I'm just, it's exciting. And, you know, when Jesus promises Peter that you're going to have a hundred times more mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And I mean, he's not kidding. I mean, there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of people that we're going to get to see and meet and uh, it's going to be great. I have to correct something. So Jake Stone, my brother, is in Gulfport, Mississippi, uh. because that's Arkansas, right? So Mississippi, if I get that wrong, uh, it's They kind of touch, don't they? I think, I think so. Southeast or Arkansas, he's going to slap me for not knowing where other, he is, they? but yeah, he's in Mississippi, and we've actually—I remember him telling me that. So got to correct that. Uh, but, okay. um, yeah, that's good. Uh. But so yeah. back to the subject. Uh, yeah, you you close out with kind of this idea of the harvest, and yeah. And what we need to do to get to that harvest and what we're yeah. called. Again, ultimately, this isn't a formula. 
Right. It's not an incantation. If we do this, we get revival. But right. if we're faithful to God, this is what we'll do so that he might, uh, in his will, bring about revival. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, again, having not finished the whole product yet, um, I, I'm only kind of aiming. But as far as what I'm con- convicted of, it's really got to end with, look, we need to preach the gospel and we need to be faithful. And if we're faithful, then the rest is up to God. And we, we have to trust his sovereignty and we have to look to him. And, you know, faith is the evidence of things not seen. So, look, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trusting that in my lifetime, God just may do something up here. I think he already is, to be honest with you. I, I, I've talked to a lot of people who've been up here a long time. I've been up here myself a long time. There just seems to be this resurgence. Uh, I've, I'm meeting a lot of pastor friends who are young guys like me who are expositors. There's a new ministry called the New England Center for Expository Preaching. This ministry is brought up past... It is. We call it NICEP. Uh, it's funny because <laughs> when... Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's funny because um, what I was going to say is we've had guys like Mark Dever, Steve mm. Lawson has been up here to do this, um, uh, the series, this, uh, this seminar. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Derek Thomas came up to do it, uh, he says, okay, what's the name of this thing again? And, and we, we gave him the name and he's like... That's terrible. What do you call it? He said, oh, Nisep. He goes, that's terrible too. He goes, you guys need to rename this ministry. But while I'm here, let's teach you how to preach. So, you know, there are ministries up here. And that's a new ministry. That's only, you know, maybe six or eight or 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So there, there's something going on where people up here are recognizing these essential things. I'm not reinventing the wheel. This is something we've been talking about for years. Um, it, it seems like God is moving and so we just want to double down and just work hard to be faithful to him. And if we're faithful, he just might revive New England. It's possible. So um, that's kind of where I'm looking to end. There is no magical formula. It's mm-hmm. not a, you know, a Charles Finney, if I do as, as many sermons, I'll get this many decisions. I don't care about decisions. You know, it's, it's about the gospel and God regenerating people. He's got to be the one takes out their heart of stone, puts a heart of flesh in. So it's him who's working. We're just laborers. Mm-hmm. And we just like, you know, like it says, I think it's in Luke's gospel. He talks about pray that the Lord of the harvest sends out laborers into his harvest fields. So we're praying to God that he's going to bring the right laborers, that he's going to help us to, to, to really work this soil, uh, that he might do something amazing up here. And that's what we're hoping for. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at the note you've got on there, and I, I, I really like those three notes that you put on there. You, you put a dig to dig in where you are, to plant in empty places, and to come from afar to labor. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, we, earlier on, we, we joked about stealing from Singular Ferguson, and, and, and I've done a little stealing in my day. And one thing I stole from Greg Kokel is uh, I, I love that he says to bloom where you're planted. Yeah. And, and that's been my driving force in ministry, my personal ministry, anything that you could call ministry has, has always been to bloom where you're planted. And, and, uh, it, it's, it's a huge blessing when you, you do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, up here, and I think this is something else that has to be said too, is we don't have sprawling campuses of ministry up here. Mm-hmm. We don't have mega churches. Not anymore. I used to have, I mean, we've got Ivy League universities that started out that way. We, 10 minutes from my house, there's the Alton Bay Conference Center used to bus in and train, people used to come in on trains, 25,000 people would step off these trains and have these huge revival meetings. 
Uh, wow. I'm pretty sure Ironside, Harry Ironside used to preach over here. I mean, all these people used to come here for revival meetings to hear biblical preaching 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> wow. It's like, we don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's from a different age, but... So we used you to know, have the, Yale and Princeton and Harvard and oh yeah, you know, oh these yeah, Dartmouth, wonderful I mean, uh, New England Ivy mm-hmm. League universities that started off as seminaries. Yeah, I mean they were Harvard was started for the purpose of training up ministers and missionaries. I mean this was these were missionary training schools to bring the gospel around the world, mm-hmm. um, and it's no longer. I mean now we're the hotbed of, of liberalism. That, that seeps into the rest of the country like sewer water. I mean, it's just terrible, and it all comes from up here, and it's it's very sad. But my my point was that you know you know we you don't come to New England because you're going to make a name for yourself. And I I know that that probably doesn't need to be said because everybody would say, well, I'm not in ministry to make a name for myself, and okay, that's fine. Right. And and we all would like to say that we're not. But it's it's not this is not glorious work up here. Um, again, God can do whatever He wants, but I'm planning. If it's up to me, if, if I have any say in it at all, I plan on dying in this pulpit. And this is a small church of dear people, and uh, it's not ever going to be a sprawling campus. It's a tiny town, but we need faithful men and faithful laborers who are going to come and and be prepared. To, to take up their cross and die daily. And, you know, Count Zinzendorf said, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. That's that's the call up here, that we're going to come and do this work and we're going to die and no one's even, even going to remember our name. And there's been so many other pastors that I mentioned before who have labored up here faithfully. I have no idea who they are. We'll see them in heaven, mm-hmm. but there's, there's a sense of, this is really a call to faithfulness. Um, we're not gonna we're not gonna have rock star celebrity pastors up here. It's just not gonna happen. And uh Except Mike Abendroth. Well, yeah, he's in a class by himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because we you know, he and I have talked about that. You know, we we've talked about balancing online ministry and, and public ministry in your own church. And mm-hmm. you know, he's he's talked about how, yeah, he's got a very public ministry across the internet. But I mean, you go to his church, it's kind of like where I am. It's out in the boons a little bit. You know, it's, there's, there's not a whole lot going. You just take this long, windy road, and all of a sudden there's this church there, mm-hmm. grassy green fields, and, you know, people just, they don't know that he's famous. They don't care. He's mm-hmm. their pastor, and they love him, and they, he loves them. And, you know, it's, uh, there's not a big, huge sign with neon light saying Mike Abendroth's church. It doesn't work <laughs> right. like that. You know, it's not. Uh, it's, it's, uh, very not glamorous. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, all that to say, um, you know, this is a call to faithfulness and we just need that. We need people who are willing to come and really, uh, dig down and plug in and do the work and trust that God is going to, uh, he's going to bless us. He sees fit. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of laborers, I think, that come out of New England that are going to get to heaven. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. There's a lot of really faithful pastors up here who've been working hard, and uh, I just want to I want to support them and uh, and give shout outs to them and, and love on them because they yeah. do a, a tireless work. A lot of these men do a tireless work. Very well said, and uh, I thank so much for the discussion that we've had today. It's it's been really uh, interesting and enlightening. And now nobody can no one wants to read the book because we've already covered yeah. it, man. It's great. It's great. well, and apparently you've gone on 
other <laughs> podcasts now? Like, <laughs> no, I'm just. I've talked about these things with I know Landon you talk about, before. Okay, Landon. Okay, you get a pass with yeah. Landon. Yeah, uh, I've talked with Mike on NoCo about this before, um, and I'm actually going to be on again. I don't know. He he sandbags these things, so I've actually already recorded with him. What he might drop it in 2017 for all I know, because that's what uh-huh. he does. So yep. uh, I do talk about some of this again with Mike in the future. Um, so I don't know whenever that's going to come out, but um, yeah, there, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk about it. And uh, if the Lord, you know, decides this is going to happen, then the book will come out and that'll be great. I'll be mm-hmm. thankful. Uh, but at the very least, if we talk about it here and this might be encouraging to somebody who's listening. Yeah. And, and the takeaway being um, not just New England, but we want to see That's this right. all over the world. You know, the, oh, uh, yeah. It, it's it might be a little different in some places where, where there never was a gospel presence. That's Ever. right. But uh, right. there are a lot of places where we had a, a wonderful gospel presence and, and it's gone now. And of course, we yeah. want to see it back. Yeah. But, uh, yep. Thanks, Nate. It's uh, been a pleasure. I not only enjoyed yeah, the discussion, you. I've enjoyed, uh, you know, we talked about Twitter and online and it's, uh, you know, you're in that circle. It's been uh, a lot of fun getting to know you online. And yeah, uh, me I look too. forward it's, to continuing uh, that. And, yeah, and uh, as well, how would uh, anybody follow you or your ministry either? Yeah, either on Twitter or, you know, entreating favor or whatnot. Yeah, so the church that I pastor is Harvest Bible Church. Uh, you can get all these links online. So the best thing to do if you're on Twitter is to just follow me at Nate Pickowitz uh, on Twitter. You can and you'll also, have to spell, um, that's a traditional spelling? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's actually the uh, the English spelling right there. Okay. Uh, no, it's, it's P-I-C-K, so pick O-W-I-C-Z. Okay. So Pickowitz. Yeah. It's it's actually not as bad as it sounds, <laughs> but it's uh yeah, and uh, and if you go to the website it's harvestbiblegilmanton.org. And I'll put um, if if people just want to click uh slash 94 I'll put links to all that and then you can yeah, click yeah. through to 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 follow Nate or the church. Or, yeah, and even or, the church uh, too. I mean, you can go on there all the sermons are on there from our ministry and kind of what's going on. There's a Facebook page we have that's just for the church and mm-hmm. I post updates and people are interact with it. So, you know, we try to have an online presence as well because so many of our people are on there and it's a great way to, for us to connect and sort of coordinate. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'll, we'll shoot out all those links and yeah, uh, people can check it out if they want to. And then so. of course, uh, Entreating Favor. And you Entreatingfavor.com. F- and you fill in for uh, Landon from time to time on uh, Fire Away. Yeah, I've, at- I've had the, the pleasure of doing that a couple times, uh, and usually I just kind of pick on him behind his back, and when he goes and <laughs> listens to it, he goes, hey, what a second, and then he, then he messages me and said, don't do that, you know, we'll go back and forth, and no, we have a lot of fun. He's been, you know, you were talking about getting to know him, and uh, mm-hmm. we've we've become friends over the last, you know, eight or nine months or so, I uh, maybe a little bit longer than that, but uh, he's just a wonderful, wonderful guy, and mm-hmm. I've been so blessed by him and his ministry, and just how he runs the site, his his vision for the for the website and for the blog and mm-hmm. uh, and for the podcast. Uh, he's just uh, such a great, faithful guy, and I love him to pieces. And uh, we we pick on each other a lot out of out of jest, but in, in truth, we really do love each other as dear friends. Yeah. And uh, he's just such a good brother. So yeah, I can't thank him enough for. He's the one who called me and brought me on to the site. So uh, without Landon. I probably wouldn't know you or anybody else, yeah. so uh, I owe him a lot. So. Well, he and I have uh, a few more things in common too. He's a he's an architect, and I right. just recently licensed as an architect as well. So yeah. got the architectural background, and 
Yeah. And of course the gospel is what really brings us together. But, uh, well, yeah, that's your, that's your I mean, patent that's, answer. Of course, yeah, that's of course, what yeah, that's I, good. I, I, it's always, it's it, the gospel brings two any two people together I know. from a world yeah. apart. It's just amazing how it works, but some of those other yeah. things can be cool too. You know, being an architect <laughs> yeah. or I'm a licensed pilot. Those, I mean, you can always, you never have a need an icebreaker when you get two pilots together. Like you never need an icebreaker. Wait, Landon's get, a pilot? I don't know if Landon is, but oh, okay. no, I'm just saying there's, there's a few things that, that like oh, okay. when you come across somebody else uh, you've never met before, you really don't need any icebreakers. You know, when you're two, both, oh, when I you're see. both believers, you, yeah. You've got an icebreaker. You you can talk about the gospel and have a great yeah. conversation. Uh, architects can get together and talk design together. Pilots can or get together and talk about flying. Someone says they're a Star flying. Trek fan. Oh, a Star Trek. Trekkie? Oh yeah, man. So if someone comes up to me and says I like Star Trek, we just speak in Klingon and it, we just take off. No no icebreaker. You know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> what were the jokes you guys were joking on Twitter, blending the Star Wars and Star Trek together and? And having oh, some fun with it. that's Landon just being a buffoon. I don't know. He, the, he's never. Oh n- no! What is he calling it? Um, Yoda the Hut. Yoda the Hut. <laughs> oh, I almost fell out of my chair because Landon's never seen a single oh, lick yeah. of Star Trek, and he's just now watching Star Wars, and so he. But he plays it up. I mean, he because yeah. I like both of them so much. He he gets my goat. I mean, he really will will say, "Oh, so uh, we're talking about R two D 3 and I'm like, "No, no, 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 no! Just stop talking." You know? So we. <laughs> We have fun with it for sure. Let's talk about Hebrews instead. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Great. So uh, yeah, check that out. Equizoid.com slash ninety four. I'll have the links to uh, all of that uh, outline of our discussion, which you're welcome to use when you go finish this uh, later chapters. I probably you... <laughs> will. I probably will. But uh, um, where to follow Nate on uh, Twitter and all the usual jazz. And uh, Nate, thanks so much for taking some time with me to talk about uh, some some real revival and, and what we can do what to be faithful towards that end as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 94. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com 94. Also at the website are links to connect to Echozoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+, and love to connect with you. So follow, like, or circle Echozoe Ministries. Lord willing, I'll be back next month for the March 2016 episode of Echozoe Radio. <laughs>